Thank you again, Lindsay. So great having you with us. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Wonderful. So we're almost at the end here, guys. First Peter, one more, one more after this. And then we'll be starting a summer series that we're going to be announcing uh, through our um, newsletter. And then next Sunday, we'll give a little announcement of what we're going to be doing for our summer series. But so far in our study in the book of First Peter, the message has been, yes, we will at times face opposition and suffering for living as a follower of Jesus. That's just the way it is. Yet, as we saw a couple of weeks ago, the op- this opposition which we're going to face, which Peter actually called, remember he called it these fiery trials, is something that actually is allowed by God. And actually, it's used by God. It's allowed and used by God in order to help us to grow in Christ-likeness and in our trust in God. Since that's the case, then, really, it makes sense that as follower of Jesus, those of us that face this opposition at times for our faith, we need to have people, people that we can get together with, people in whom we gather on a regular basis in order to receive encouragement and to be strengthened in our faith. If we're going to go through this stuff, which we are going to, we're going to need that encouragement. Now, that's where actually being a part of a local church comes in. A healthy local church is what we need when we are dealing with this. We need it all the time, but especially because that's what Peter's been talking about, remember? He's been talking about dealing with opposition for our faith. So we're gonna especially need that when we're dealing with this stuff. The word church, as many of you know, comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which is defined as an assembly or called out ones. You see, the church isn't a building, I mean, we know this in our head, but so often we refer to that, that church, that building. Church is not a building. We just happen to meet in a building. The church is the body of Christ, which he is the head, and which is comprised of really all those who believe in him for salvation. That's what the church is. But we, have to, we ever have to wonder sometimes? I know that I do. Sometimes I've wondered in the past when I was younger, but do you ever wonder how the local church is supposed to be run. I mean, many of you come from a business background. There's a CEO, there's a boss, there's a, there's a structure, there's a pyramid, we are whatever that design thing is on your flow chart. So does that, is that the way it works in the church? Is that how things happen here? Who's ultimately in charge? With whom does the buck stop? Who makes the decisions that ensures that the local church maintains its ability to be able to be a place that is not only a refuge from the world, but also a place where the world can come and learn to have a relationship with the God of the universe? You see, most people believe that the role of the lead or senior pastor is is to ultimately call the shots. That's what we thought, you know, that's the business model. He's the CEO to call the shots. He's the final decision maker. You're looking at me, that would, many of you, look at me as that. Well, in today's passage that we're gonna look at in 1 Peter chapter five, we are going to see that this is not what the Bible actually teaches. I love how Peter really helps us understand this, and it's so vital that we understand it. This morning, we're going to see that the Bible actually teaches that the responsibility for maintaining the health of the local church falls specifically to a group of people who've been called to that role. 
not one person. We're also going to take a look at what the role that each of us, that everybody here plays in supporting these people because we all are a part of this. In this passage we'll be looking at this morning, the Apostle Peter starts off by specifically addressing those that he had called to lead the church. That's how he starts. He's going to go right for them. So look at verse 1 of chapter 5. First Peter says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So Peter starts addressing these guys, these people called elders. Now, the word elder here, presbyteros in Greek, specifically, does that make me, does that, does that make me sound smarter when I, in Greek? I don't know how, I don't know Greek. That's what I read. What it means, it, it specifically refers to this. Here's what it specifically refers to. It refers to a lot of different things, but I kind of boiled it down into a sentence that I feel like it, uh, like it makes sense to me. It specifically feel, refers to men of maturity and spiritual experience who give leadership to a local group of believers. Let me say that again. The word elders in the Bible specifically refers to men of maturity and spiritual experience who give leadership to a local group of believers. Now, it's interesting to note that the word for elder, pastor, overseer in the Bible is usually they often, they interchange those words. They really do. They interchange them, and essentially they mean the same thing. They have the same meaning. And we can see that early on in the church, the apostles, what they did when they were getting churches started is they actually appointed elders Okay, they appointed elders to lead and oversee churches as churches began to sprung up, spring up these new believers. We got to meet together. So they appointed elders. Look, in Acts chapter 14, verse 23, it says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So the apostles had gone around evangelizing and they thought, okay, we got to have some organizational structure. We got to have some leadership. So they appointed elders. Now, nowhere in the New Testament do we see one person being appointed as the senior or the lead pastor of a local church. It was always elders, plural. Elders were always appointed to lead the church. So the implication here is that it is to be a plurality of leadership with equal authority, equal shared authority and responsibility. That's what the implication here is. That's what scripture says. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that we can't, can't be or even shouldn't be what might have someone in the church, what might be called, some people have called it um, a first among equals, okay? What that, what that would be, that would be like one of the elders that is specifically gifted in the area of leadership, the area of teaching and preaching, and that person is often compensated for that. Okay, so that's what that person would be. So I am the lead pastor here at Coastside. I am an elder here at Coastside. I share equal responsibility at Coastside with the other elders, because that's what the Bible says. That's how it is supposed to be. This role is no different in authority or responsibility. We just don't see that anywhere in the Bible. It's, we can't find it that way. 
but I think we brought that CEO model kind of into the church. And like I said, it's okay. I am gifted in the area of teaching, preaching, leadership, so I should be lead pastor. That's okay. That's totally okay. But don't mix that up with the authority level that I have with the other elders. And I know this might be different than many of what you guys have grown up with. So this could be what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to kind of get, dig in a little deeper what elders are. So notice what Peter starts doing. He starts by exhorting the elders, which means that he's urging them to do something very, very specific. Yet before he gets into the specific instructions, he, give them, he gives them really a basis and a foundation for exhorting them. He begins with referring to himself here as a first. He says, I'm a fellow elder. This is very important because even though he was a firsthand witness to Christ's suffering, he puts himself on the same level. And this is Peter, the rock, the pope. Now, this is what, this is what he, who are you? And he's saying, no, your fellow elder, he's saying. He, 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 Peter witnessed firsthand. He saw the tide of popular support turn against Jesus. He saw how Jesus' ministry alienated him even from his family and from some of his friends, and how the Jewish leaders rejected his claims of being the Messiah, and how they plotted against him. He saw all this. He saw the agony that Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane when he prayed, and, and drops of blood, as sweat came because of his, his agony out of his forehead. Peter was there when Judas, he was right there when Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. And he was there when he was arrested and he was questioned. We don't know if Peter, there's nowhere way we can know that Peter was actually there at Jesus' crucifixion. But even so, he could legitimately claim that he witnessed, he was a witness to the sufferings of Christ, and he still addresses them as a fellow elder. How I see that relates to me, I don't think many of our elders went to seminary. I did. But that makes, but Peter's giving a great example here. You're no different. I'm no, diff no different when it comes to authority. I love how he does that. He's not lording over them or anything like that. It's wonderful. He still addresses them as fellow elders. He also sees himself, another thing is he sees himself as one who will share with them in the glory that will be revealed when Jesus returns. Remember a few weeks ago, we saw that when we are insulted, when we're actually insulted for the name of Jesus, that the spirit of Christ and his glory and the glory of God rests upon us. We saw, we looked at that. And this was referring to the fact that as believers, not only do we get to experience his glory and amazing glory when he returns and we live in heaven forever, but we can experience in part in a way now because of the reign and the rule that he has in his heart in our hearts. So we do experience some of that glory. You see, Peter, what he's doing is he's motivating his fellow elders, his fellow elders, by saying that even though we experience some of his grace and goodness now and glory now, he's saying, the time is short, guys. He will return and the, we're really gonna see all of his glory. So basically what he's saying is, listen up. So this is, all the, this is all a prelude to what he wants to tell elders, okay? So then he goes, now he goes into it. Now before, though, we look into the actual instructions that he gives for an elder, what they're supposed to be specifically to do. I think it's important that we take a little bit of time this morning to talk about what the Bible actually says qualifies a person to be an elder, 
Because as we see it, it's not the small responsibility. We're going to see it's no small thing to be an elder. And all, so many of us in this room, we've grown up in different traditions and different ways of what we think. You're going to hear from us what we believe at this church qualifies a person to be an elder. And no jabbing elders in the side during this, okay? Um, so the primary passages in the Bible that talk about the qualifications for an elder are in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're gonna, that's what we're going to look at in just a second here. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. And then this morning's passage also is that. So let's, I want to take a look at this long section here. Uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. It'll be up on the, uh, on the screen there. And this is really a great section on talking about the qualifications for an elder. So he says this. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, remember those words all connect, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that they may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Whoo, what a, what a list, huh? What a list. So basically what there is, there's, I see here's like six, kind of six categories for qualification for verses. And what I'm really getting is I meant to show it to you. I have a little book that our elders have been, we've been going through this book about what it means to be a church elder. And I'm getting a lot of this uh, in this next section here from that actual book. So verse one says that the first thing we see is it needs to be a person, uh, got to want to be an elder. The person that to be an elder needs to want this, okay? Verse one says it is something for a person to aspire to. That word aspire in the, real, in, the, in the way that they're using it there, it's this reaching out or it's stretching for. It's got to be something that a person really wants to. It's not just saying, okay, it's your turn. We've all done it. You're up. That's not what he's saying at all. What he's saying is, is it's this inner yearning that the Holy Spirit puts on a person's heart to shepherd the local church. It's this yearning to do it. Second thing is this person exemplifies God's character, Godly character includes a couple things we see here. First, it says, above reproach. Strange word. What that means is that that person, they are free from sinful habits or behaviors that stand in the way of them modeling Christian maturity and being a witness for Christ and his church. Other aspects that we see here of godly character, we see in here self-control, gentleness, hospitality, not a lover of money. Okay, third, qualifi third qualification here is, is that they're able to teach the Bible. This means, doesn't mean that they have the necessarily the gift of teaching, but they're able to communicate the gospel and to communicate biblical doctrine in a way that both encourages people, but it also refutes false teaching when it comes up. They know how to do that. Fourth qualification is being able to lead their family well. I mean, is this person doing their best to create a nurturing atmosphere at home? Do his wife and children respect him because he is both firm and fair? Fifth qualification. This is the one that people get tripped up on a lot. This person must be a male. This person must be a male. Both Timothy 
In Timothy and in the Titus passage, the apostle tells us that the, this person is to be a one-woman man. And that means in every way, includes their thought life in all areas of sexual purity and all that. What Paul's doing here, I believe, when he's saying, and why we agree that this is a male-only thing, we believe that what Paul is doing here and what Peter's doing here is he's linking leadership of the church to leadership of the family, where the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says that men are instructed to lovingly, humbly, sacrificially lead their families. This is how the Bible set it up. And if you want to talk more about this part of the thing, I'd be more than happy to talk about it. There's plenty of other verses and things like that that talk about it. Like I think about this last night because I was watching a TV show that was lauding the, the achievement of women in the Bay Area, and it was wonderful. And I thought it was a great, it was a great, great thing. But I, it got me thinking about how there's this, there is this tension out there about what is male headship and male leadership in, this, in the body of Christ. And I know it's a sensitive issue, a sensitive topic. That's why we don't hammer things. We talk about it in a way that is truth, but in grace, because this is how we believe that God has set things up. Like I said, more than happy to talk to you uh, more about that. Well, the sixth qualification is that a person is established believer. The term elder implies wisdom and experience. These are things that take time, take time to happen. Uh, for a person. So those are the qualifications, okay? These are, some, these are for qualifications of someone that's going to be an elder. Now, let's look at the actual instructions. Let's look at the instructions Peter gives for an el- what an elder is actually supposed to do. And remember, you're, you might be thinking, I'm not an elder, this sermon's not for me. You are un- and I are under the, you are under the leadership of elders. We need to know why they do what they do and what they're supposed to do. And are they even supposed to be there? Very, very important. Now, let's look at what he says. Verses two and three, he says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So we see here that elders are first there to shepherd the flock. Now, shepherding was a very well-known theme in the ancient world, and especially in Jewish history, in the Jewish tradition. Uh, Psalm 78 says, refer, refers to when God led, Egypt, when led Israel out of Egypt. He said, then he led his people like sheep and guided them into the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 23, we all know Psalm 23, the Lord is my who, what? He's, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In the New Testament, the word flock is really used metaphorically to really refer to follow, actual followers of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, chapter 10, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. But why sheep? I mean, really. Why couldn't we be like cheetahs? You know, why, why couldn't it be like a, a, a lion or a, a stallion you know, why, why <laughs> there you go. Why couldn't, why, why have to be sheep? Well, I mean, sheep are notorious for not being very smart. They're notorious for it. They're prone to totally, completely wander off, just get in their own little world and wander off. And they're virtually defenseless against predators. The reality is sheep need a shepherd. They're dependent on a shepherd. And in truth, so are we. That's why it's such a good metaphor. 
Peter goes on to describe the actions of a shepherd or how a shepherds are to practically do this. How does a shepherd actually supposed to shepherd the flock when it comes to a church? He says that they do this by exercising oversight. And he describes this oversight really in three qualifying phrases here, okay? He says the first thing he says is that oversight is to be done not under compulsion, simply because, like I said, it's your turn, you know, you're, you're up because you've been appointed, that what's going to happen, that's going to be a person that's going to do it half-heartedly. It needs to be doing it willingly and not begrudgingly. It should be done, not be done out of duty, but out of serving God, out of the joy and the willingness to sacrifice and to serve. Well, the second qualifying phrase he uses here is not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Elders are to oversee a flock with an eagerness, this just the desire to serve, not for their own personal gain or prestige to say, yeah, I'm an elder at my church. Respect me. So that's not supposed to be it at all. Or power. Yeah, I wield power in this church because I'm an elder. No. And that's not at all how you're supposed to do it. Third qualifying phrase is that elders are not to be domineering as they oversee the flock, but are to be examples to the flock. Really, this is similar to the teaching that Jesus gave us when he, in Matthew when he said, but Jesus called them and said to, him, said, said to them, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Doesn't this so go against the grain of what our world says about power and authority? It really does. That's why so often it's hard to deal with, and that's why it's so often, did you know that there is a, this is a side note, this is it's on my notes, totally free. What they, there is a huge amount of people out there that have been abused by the church, a lot, you would, you'd be amazed at the vast amount of people that have been in churches, grew up in churches, and abused. And I don't mean sexually or things like that. I mean by this, these kind of things being not done by leadership and elders using their power in a way for themselves, their sinful nature taking over. That's why it's so important that as a church we totally understand what an elder is so that we can, one, be underneath them appropriately, but we can also help hold them accountable. It's so important. Sin creeps into area, so many areas of our lives, every area of our lives. Elders are, to shepherd, are shepherds who are to oversee the flock in such a way that they're an example of this Christ-like attitude of being a servant, now, being an example means that elders are to be men worth imitating. So when basically, when we come up here and we say, here's an elder of our church, or here's someone that we are looking to be an elder of our church, here's what we're saying. What we're basically saying, here's a guy that we are officially recognizing and as an example of a mature believer. Not a perfect one, not a perfect example, and not the only example, but this guy is an example worth imitating following. Remember in Timothy, Apostle Paul exhorted him to say, he said, set, set the believers an example. And he said, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Great example. 
The next two verse, now the next verse, Paul goes on, Peter goes on to say that what's, here's what the motivation should be. Here's what the motivation for being an elder should be. Because well, we've seen that it's not about winning power, it's not to win, getting power, it's not to win points with God. It's not to be able to get this prestige to say, I'm an elder. So what is it? What should be the main motivation for a man to want to be an elder in their church? Well, he says it in verse four. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So you see, elders are under shepherds who fall under the authority of Jesus who is, as we see here, the chief shepherd. He, Jesus, really, is in a sense, he's the true lead pastor, senior, he's the true senior pastor, or business model CEO, if you wanna look at it that way. That's who Jesus is. The motivation for a man to be an elder in the church is receiving, and what he says here, an unfading crown of glory. Now, this unfading crown of glory, this was a Greek expression back then. There was this, I've never heard of this flower before. Anybody heard of the amaranth flower before? See, I didn't, I didn't think it was very pot. Oh yeah, of course, David had. Um, there, <laughs> this is a flower that when you pick it, what happened is you could pick it and it wouldn't fade. It would, it, would, it would take a long time for it to fade, or you could revive it really easily with giving it a little bit of water. So really, this came to symbolize immortality. This, it was a symbol back then that showed that this is going to last for a long time, if not forever. Remember, during his ministry, the Apostle Paul even said this. He said, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. What did he say? They do it to receive a perishable wreath. Back then, remember the Olympics? They gave them a wreath. That thing, you know, that was your reward. What, ha- what about a couple months later? What did that wreath look like? Hey, come and check out my dead wreath. I won that. You know, obviously he was proud of the wreath, but it still, it died. He says here that they will receive one that is imperishable. What we and imperishable. You see, sometime after Jesus' return, sometime when he comes back again, there will be this type of award ceremony that's gonna happen, okay? We're all, every, we're all gonna be a part of this award ceremony, okay? And those who've been faithful in serving are going to receive an award, whether they're an elder, whatever they are, they've been faithful in serving, they're going to receive this reward for serving in the area wherever God has them. Now, this is, this is a tough concept to wrap our heads around, this whole rewards in heaven thing. I mean, what's the point, really? I mean, we're gonna be with God, and we're gonna get a reward on top of that? Here, here's one explanation that I found. He said, the rewards we gain in heaven are not like the rewards we earn here on earth. We tend to think in material terms, mansions, jewels, etc. But these things are only representations of the true rewards we will gain in heaven. A child who wins a spelling bee treasures the trophy he receives, not for the sake of the trophy itself, but for what that trophy means. Likewise, any reward or honor we gain in heaven will be precious to us because they carry the weight and meaning of our relationship with God and because they remind us of what he did through us on earth. It's a great way to put it. Towards the end of his life, once again, um, the Apostle Paul said, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering 
and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is, here he goes, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing, or all those who have served him faithfully, wherever he has you, with the gifts that he has given you. See, an elder, and actually every believer who is faithful to serving the Lord using their gifts and abilities, is to find our sole motivation for serving, our sole motivation for wanting to do things for God in order to be recognized by who? By him. That is to be our sole motivation. And I, I gotta tell you, the truth is, it's easy to take a gift or a talent you got and want to serve that for the Lord. And what does sin nature do to that? Oh, yeah. It's so easy for that to happen, so easy. That's why Paul has, I mean, Peter has all these qualifications for an elder. He wants an elder to see this is a difficult, difficult task. This is a huge calling. Be careful. Listen up. There's a lot at stake here. Well, lastly, Peter now addresses this attitude, really, that all of us, okay? Now, this is for everybody. The attitude that all of those that are under the leadership of elders are to have. Okay, verse 5, last verse, he says this. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, this phrase, you are, though you who are younger, it's going to be a difficult one to interpret a lot of times. It's, it's not necessarily in this place referring to people that are necessarily young in age. It's really those who are younger, like most likely referring to those that are not necessarily elders or not, not ready to be elders yet or not, not, not quite qualified yet to be elders. What, what he's doing here is Peter t- is telling us that those, anybody that's not an elder is to be in subjection subjection to the elders and to respect their oversight. Not because they're these big important people, but because that's how God set it up for us to be able to grow and to mature in our faith. So we're to honor them, we're to, we're to be subject to them. The writer of Hebrews, this is a really good verse that applies this, said the writer of Hebrews says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's a tough one to swallow right there at the beginning. For they, but for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Okay, so Peter now, what he does is he's going to end this section with these general instructions to really to everyone, and this is even includes us elders. He says that we are to clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. This idea here is whether you're an elder or not, you're really to wrap yourself, just completely wrap yourself, your entire being, in humility. Now, we can see how important that humility would be in the context of 1 Peter and what we've been looking at these last few months. Peter's readers were facing tremendous opposition and persecution because of their faith. The need for strong, godly leadership in their faith communities was crucial. Could you imagine what it would have been like to be in a church or a gathering, which was barely were really small, they usually met in a home, 
and you didn't have anybody in that gathering that really was there to help protect, to, to guide, and to lead. Everybody was just kind of on their own, and even worse yet, you had someone in there who was like, listen, I'm, you need to respect me. Look at me. I'm older than you. I'm wiser than you. And then going through all that persecution, these people desperately needed a place, and so do we. It would be easy for the young believers. Can you imagine the young believers, how impatient they would be? Uh, with, they want to, you know, what do, what, do, what do young people want to do usually when it comes to authority? I know I wanted to subvert it. That's what I wanted to do when I was young. It was a real temptation for me to do that. So he's saying, no, if you're humble and you're, you, you're, you're wrapped in humility, you're not, you're not going to be going that way. And it also is, would be easy for older people, for the elders to abuse that power. All that perse- persecution was going on, they would abuse that power to, in order to save their own skin. That's why I'm saying humility is so important. I love what this one commentator said about this. She said, true humility, as opposed to contrived, self-degrading humiliation, flows from recognizing one's complete dependence on God and is expressed by the acceptance of one's role and position in God's economy. With such humility, one is freed from attempts to gain more power or prestige. Instead, humility expresses itself in the willingness to serve others, even beyond one's self-interest. Wow, that's humility. That's an amazing humility. So what does all this mean for us at Coastside? What does this mean for each one of us? Let's make this get practical here, okay? Let's end this on a practical note. So what does this mean for each of us here at Coastside? Well, first thing as I see here, is that we need to make sure that we truly understand what the role and the qualifications of an elder are. It is so important that you understand how and why this church functions the way it does. You need to, we, I don't want you to be coming here just going, oh, we just trust everything you do. We're not going to, we, we just believe whatever anybody said. no. You need to understand why. You need to understand why the elders make decisions that they do, why things happen, why the, what the qualifications are. It's important. An elder board is not a group of men that merely functions like this board of trustees. No offense against board of trustees, but that's not what the elder board is about here. Sure, we have to deal with stuff like, we'll deal with, I gotta tell you, we'll be at an elders meeting, we'll deal with everything from a deep theological issue to what color should the sign be that we wanna get. I mean, that's, in a small church, that's the way it's gotta work. You know, we're not big enough yet, we don't have the, the deacons and all that, we just don't yet. So we're making all those kinds of decisions. An elder board is not just a group that just makes a bunch of decisions Um, There's more to it than that. We believe that these men are divinely called and appointed to shepherd the local flock, which means feeding, protecting, caring for, leading, going after the ones that stray. And the moment, get this, the moment that a man no longer senses this calling in his life, he needs to step down. That's how powerful this is. That's how important this role is that God has for leading the church. This is a calling. This isn't someone that's voted in because it's your turn. This is God has called this person to do this. Um, just so you guys know, we have a process here that we have begun um, to, for, for elders. Uh, first of all, just so you want you guys to know, we meet twice a month as an elder board. 
uh, to do everything from church business to talk about how to just be good leaders and shepherds, to shepherd the flock. Um, so we meet twice a month to do that. But one of the processes that we have now is that if anybody's going to join the elder board at this church, they have to, they will be, we as an elder board will pray whether we feel like there's a man that we, is to approach, we should approach him to be an elder. We vote on that. And then we approach that man. And then we ask that man to, for at least six months, come and be a part of our elder board with no voting rights, he could, but he can, we don't vote on a ton anyway. We were joking about the last thing we voted on was the guy that we want to have do this, um, to be an elder. But we will give this person, so six months at least, this person will come and be a part of our, all of our elders' meetings, participate, all that stuff, in order so that we can, we and that man can see, is this something that God really is calling this person to do? This person needs to be involved in the process. We need to be able to observe this man. We need to be able to watch his life. We need to be able to talk to his wife, sometimes even talk to their employer. We need to know that this is something that God, this is how serious we take this role of an elder. You see, the church must have leaders that can shepherd the flock in ways that maintain its mission to reach people for the gospel of Jesus and to help people grow deeper in that relationship. Here's the second thing I think this means for us at Coastside is that we need to remember that the calling like, a calling like this makes this person an absolute target. The elders of your church have targets on, your, on their back. We all have targets on our back. The enemy will do anything to disrupt spiritual leadership he, the enemy of our souls will stop nothing at crippling, effective spiritual leadership. And he always goes for the home first, seems. But we're also a family, too. So he's going to go after the elder. He's going to go after the men, and he's going to go in the church, and he's going to go after the elders big time. If the local church is going to be, continue to be a healthy, healthy place where people can give and receive encouragement, where we can be taught, we can be challenged in our faith to use our gifts, where, where people that don't know Jesus yet can come. I mean, I gotta tell you, that's a passion of mine and many people in this church is that people that don't know Jesus, as we call them yet, not yet believers, because they're coming, that we want them to know Jesus. We want this to be a place where people are coming to know Jesus. And if this is going to be that kind of place, where people are gonna learn that truth, then its leaders are going to need a lot of encouragement and prayer. It is our desire that Coastside be a beacon of light in this community. And I would ask you, every single one of you, I would ask that you would consider praying regularly for the elders at this church. Not because they're better than anybody, not because we're gonna stop praying for other people and just pray for the elders, because if we are going to be that beacon, if we are going to be the church that God is going to use to not only build up the believers that are here, but reach this area for Christ, this funky, wonderful Pacifica, we are going to have to have leaders that are being prayed for and that are being encouraged so they can do this calling in a way that God wants them to do. Third thing. This means that for each of us at Coastside, we need to be willing to know our elders. We need to be willing to know our elders. I like the elders that are present elders. Go ahead and stand up, the ones that are here. There's a couple aren't here. Most of you know. If you're new, you probably don't. 
Uh, we have three or four of them are here. Um, Robert, David, and Gary. Um, these guys, wonderful, wonderful guys. Okay, go ahead and sit down. It's not about you. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but then it's David. we have David Curtis and Joe Gross also um, are our present elders, and I would encourage you to get to know them. Um, shepherds need to know their sheep, and sheep need to know their shepherds. That's all there is to it. Uh, this is both an encouragement, really, and a challenge to the elders and to each one of you to take the time to get to know our elders. Go out to dinner, go out to lunch, go out to coffee. The summer nights that are coming up, sit and chit-chat with an elder, get to know them. Elders, chit-chat, get to know the sheep. We need to be doing that kind of thing. And lastly, the last thing that I believe all this that we've been talking about this morning means for us as Coastside, that we need to work hard very hard at clothing ourselves in humility, which means that we need to believe the best about our leaders. Why'd they do that? Or I thought, no, we need to believe the best. It's, isn't it so easy, I know for me, to become judgmental? I know what it is for me, or to wonder why, you know, start to think maybe, what's going on? Instead of saying, you know what, no matter what, I'm gonna believe the best of that person. We all need to be doing that. This is that humility, that clothed in humility that Peter was talking about. We believe the best about our leaders and about each other. And we show each other grace upon grace, just as it has been shown to us. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for these words that are very strong, very powerful very encouraging, yet very, very challenging. Thank you that you have called the men in this church that you've got as elders, and we pray for those that will be elders. Father, we thank you for the responsibility of being able to lead, and don't take it lightly. Thank you for that um, just privilege. And God, we ask that you would surround this place um, and surround these men's lives with your angels and with your power and goodness. We pray, God, that you will give all of us the wisdom to be able to lead well, humbly, and sacrificially for the sake of Jesus. It's his name we pray, amen.